during this Advent series, we've been hearing from different voices in our church. The first Sunday, we heard from Matt Persley, the executive pastor here. And then the second Sunday, last week, we heard from Tanika Wyatt, and it was beautiful. And, and then today, this third Sunday of Advent, we're hearing from another voice from within our church. Phil and Amy have been giving their lives, along with their kids, they've been giving their lives to the mission of Jesus to the poor and vulnerable. And they've been giving their lives to this for a long time. Um, I am very excited to finally uh, platform uh, these guys today and to let them speak from what God has done in and through them and, and to let us in on some of the story, that, the beautiful story that Jesus is writing through their lives. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna be done talking and will you please give a warm Park Hill welcome to Phil Cunningham. So before Phil preaches, Jimena's gonna read from Matthew chapter 11. So open up to Matthew 11. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, verses two to 11. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we be expecting someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Uh, good morning. Uh, so my name is Phil Cunningham. Um, yeah, we've been going to this church for about a year and a half now. I remember uh, my wife and I and our kids, we're, we have a good friend who uh, her family lives here and we were looking for a church and we sat down with this family, and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, there's this little church plant happening in Point Loma. You should check it out. And I'm like, ah, oh, little church plant. All right, living room. It's going to be nice and quaint. We like that. And then we arrived here. Uh, not quaint, but the community that we feel, like we said this morning, uh, and this church is incredible. Um, during worship this morning, I was just praying and asking God, like, what are you saying? And I felt like he said something really significant that we need, um, that uh, we use, I work with this missions organization called YWAM, so we use this strange language if you're familiar with YWAM or Youth with a Mission. I felt like God said, this is our tribe. Um, and a tribe is a community of people that are moving forward together, right? And doing things together. And so I'm just excited to share with you um, kind of what we're doing, but mostly what God is doing. And then some real practical ways that you and I uh, can get involved in what God's doing in the city, but also like internationally. Um, this is Advent. We, we love Advent. Uh, our family does. I grew up in a church that we always lit like the Advent candles, 
I didn't know what they meant. I just knew that every candle that was lit was one step closer to presence. And uh, so uh, I love that we get to do this together. Um, all right, we're going to get into this text. This is probably one of my favorite texts in the Bible. Uh, I love it not because I feel um, this, this conviction to do something in order to gain my salvation or to gain approval from, from God, but, but that this text really is showing what does it look like for us to be followers of Jesus. And so, um, so John's in prison, right? Uh, he's uh, the one that was calling out in the desert, make way for Jesus. And uh, he ends up in prison, and uh, he hears about this stuff that, that Jesus is doing. Maybe his disciples, Luke tells us that his disciples were hanging out with Jesus when he was doing all this crazy stuff, right? Healing the blind, uh, the deaf, uh, preaching the good news to the poor, raising the dead. And so John sends his disciples, he says, go and see if Jesus is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for. Um, John grew up with this guy, right? They were cousins. Like, he knew him. He knew the prophecies. He probably heard the stories from their moms when they were getting together. Um, but he, he needed to know. Can you go and find out if Jesus is the one? And so John's disciples go and they find Jesus. And they ask this question. And uh, Jesus didn't get offended at this. He continued to do what the Father was telling him. Um, Matthew doesn't tell us, like, how much time passed during this whole altercation. But Luke says that um, the disciples came, they asked, and it says, in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And then he answered them, right, go and tell John what you see. It's interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, can you just remind John of like, the stuff that he's seen? Can you remind John of the prophecies? Can you remind John um, that his dad was like 70 or 80 when, when, uh, when he was born? Like All these crazy things, right? Jesus just did some stuff that was just fully Jesus. And he said, go back and tell John what you hear and see. Um, the blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them. When I was thinking about this text, I thought, you know, I wonder, uh, knowing who Jesus is by reading through the, the Bible, he was probably doing this stuff already. He was always healing. He was always preaching. He was always performing miracles and hanging out with those who were hurting and those who were um, the poor, the vulnerable, those that maybe other people didn't see. Jesus, like, always saw these people. Um, it's one of the things that he was known for. Jesus wasn't known for the guy who didn't lust or the guy who didn't steal or cheat. Jesus was known for the guy who saw the poor, he saw the needs of the people around him, he stepped into their problems, he made their problems his problems, and then he brought healing and life and restoration. He was known, he was known for this stuff. Um, I see Jesus engaging with John's disciples, right? Uh, showing attention to them. Not just like, you guys are inconveniencing me. I'm healing this woman right now, right? Like this woman has never seen. I'm about to do something crazy, and you're inconveniencing me. Right? Jesus stepped back 
and he spent time with John's disciples. Uh, he gave attention to them like he gave attention to everyone else. Uh, then they asked the question, are you the one, or should we wait for another? And Jesus did um, what he normally does, right? Healed people, took care of people. Um, I imagine John's disciples going back to John in prison and like telling them what, what they saw and what happened, right? I don't think John, like Jesus had his disciples at the side, like kind of hanging out. Watch this, I'll show you what's happening. I, am sh I, I, I would think, I like to imagine what Jesus would do just because it's fun and, uh, and he's human. He's fully God, but fully human. And so what would I have done? Um, I think he probably had John's disciples go into the crowds and say, bring me some people. That, you see that guy over there that's blind? Go and bring him over here. You see that person who has never walked before? Why don't you guys go over and pick him up, bring him over to me? And John's disciples probably had to step into this crazy faith of, what if this guy doesn't want to be touched? Like, what if this, what if this person doesn't, doesn't like me, and, you know, and, and I'm supposed to bring them to Jesus? I, I really think Jesus had them involved in what he was doing so that they could go back to John and say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He is the Messiah. John, you are not in prison for nothing. You are in prison because you're speaking about and for um, the one who is to come. So Isaiah 61.1. This is, this is who Jesus was. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of eyes to the blind. This is how Jesus lived his life. He was always letting himself be inconvenienced by others in order to show God's love to the vulnerable. The vulnerable in that time were those who needed other people to, to be in their lives. They were the poor, they were the orphan, they were the widow, and they were the stranger. Right? They call this the, the, the um, quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. Those who needed people in their lives, right? Uh, who are those people today? Who are those that we um, see as the vulnerable and those that, that need Jesus to show up in their lives, right? We all do, but who are those people that, that are the most vulnerable? Um, they're the poor. Uh, they're going to be up here. They're the poor, like those sleeping in their cars at night or sleeping on the street. Those who have 7-Eleven for dinner because they can't afford the cost of healthy food from the supermarket. It's the immigrant. Those lined up at the border, those who are right now sleeping in a cell separated from their families because their cases haven't been seen yet. The vulnerable of the refugee, the man, the woman, the child who is running from violence, only be to be treated with contempt in the country that they've been given status in. They're the one who don't speak the language of their new country. They don't understand the culture, the currency, the banking system. They don't know how to get a driver's license. They don't know how to shop in the grocery store. The child in foster care, the boy or girl who's just waiting for someone to take them into their homes and be their family, and the homeless. The people who are judged, 
the homeless who are not seen, they're walked past, they're not trusted, even though we don't have relationship with them. Those are the vulnerable in our society. Psalm 146. Um, God commands us to be a part of hanging out with the vulnerable. This is something that God wants us to do. You go back into Micah. Uh, there's a man named Gary Haugen. He runs a, a, an NGO, a nonprofit called International Justice Mission. And uh, he talks about Micah 6 8. And he says that it says, He has told you, O man, or O woman, girls, you are not exempt, right? O people, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of me? It's to do justice, it's to love kindness. And it's to walk humbly with God. There's three things that God is asking and that they're required of us, right? To do justice, which is to make other people's problems our problems. Um, to love kindness, which means to do it kindly, not like judgmentally. And to do it with humility, right? Walking humbly with God. Not, not to elevate ourselves because we have a, a job and an education and a status that we wouldn't elevate ourselves above people who don't have a home or don't have a meal to eat that night. Amen. Um, <laughs> amen. It's true. Um, it means to uh, give care to the poor, welcoming the stranger, showing compassion and action towards the homeless, not worrying about what the homeless are going to spend the money on that we give them. Oh my gosh, there's been so many times that I'm like, ah, I don't know, I feel like I'm supposed to give them some money, but what if they spend it on like X, Y, or Z? God is not asking me to live my life um, in obedience to him only if the people that I am giving to spend that money or resource or time on things that are going to glorify the kingdom. He is asking us to respond in obedience to him, not, not in um, relation to the outcome of what that does, just to be obedient, right? Um, I grew up in a church, I grew up in church, um, this, in Canada, right now, it's like negative 16 in my country, in my city, so stop complaining that it's cold here. It's relative, right? It's relatively cold here. I was chilly this morning, but um, it's cold. And so we would go to church, and um, I was never taught um, what to do as a Christian. I was taught a lot about what not to do, which I probably needed. You know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't laugh in church, because your dad will get up from one side of the church, walk all the way over to the other side of the church when we get home, right? I got that so many times. I was taught what not to do. Um, but I, was, I wasn't really taught what to do. Like, read my Bible. I was taught to read my Bible. I was taught to pray, which, which really marks a lot of my life right now because it's so valuable. But I was never taught what James says, right? He or she who knows the good that they ought to be doing and does not do that good is in sin. Uh, Tanika last week um, made me feel warm and comfy in her communication and her teaching to us about being the church, right? And then she did something that really um, threw me off. She's like, okay, we're going to actually do this. You're going to stand up. If you were here last week, right, you're going to stand up, and you're going to meet someone, and you're going to talk to someone new. And I'm like, oh, don't make me do the thing that I know is right 
when I can just sit here and know that it's right. I know it's right to meet new people. I know it's right to be the church. Oh, now I got to do it. It's hard. It's hard to do the things that we know are right. But that's where the life happens. Um, So how does this look today? We're talking about Jesus and how he lived 2,000 years ago. Uh, We're talking about Jesus and him showing the example of loving the poor and the homeless. I, I don't see a lot of blind people walking around here. I don't see a lot of people who maybe can get carried to me and I can, and I can heal. So what does that look like today? So I want to talk about some of my friends. Uh, we work for this international missions organization called Youth with a Mission. Uh, we've been working with them for about 25 years now. Uh, we've been to many countries serving the poor, but I want to talk about my friends Tim and Mel. There should be a picture of them coming up. Uh, Tim is a Cambodian man. Uh, he, he's the guy on the, on the bike. There's actually five people on that motorcycle. Um, it's like a little 125cc scooter, but um, you, that's, how they, that's how a lot of people get around. You don't need a truck. You just need kids who can carry stuff and good balance. So my friend Tim is Cambodian. He grew up in Cambodia. He marries this girl from Arkansas, Mel. Uh, so he speaks Khmer with this thick Southeast Asian accent. But if you close your eyes and he's talking English, stereotypical Southern boy. Straw in his mouth, cowboy hat on. Um, if you're from the South, don't be offended. It's just my opinion. Um, these guys give their lives to Tim's home country, to Cambodia. 95% of the people in this country are Buddhist. Um, Most of the people are low income. It's relative, but most are living on $1 to $2 a day. Um, They find this slum that you're going to see a picture of next. Uh, This place is um, called the White Building. I've been there many, many times, uh, driven past it. Uh, There's a community there that we're mainly Uh, made up of drug dealers, gangs, uh, women engaged in prostitution, gambling, violence. And Tim and Mel felt like, as followers of Jesus, they need to serve that community. Um, It was scary. They didn't know what to do. If you've seen, how many of you have seen Frozen 2? All right. I'm going to talk a little bit about it. There's no spoiler because it's a cartoon. Come on, it's fine. Right? (laughs) You're okay. We can handle it. Um, There is a scene. Evan and I talked about this the other day, actually. Um, There's a scene where the, uh, I don't know, elf or troll or troll. Snowman. Is it the snowman? The the snowman that that they built. Um, He says, sometimes we can't see the future, and all we can do is the next right thing. Right? Profound. I, wrote, I actually wrote it down in the, in the theater illegally on my phone. Um, and Tim and Mel thought the next right thing for us to do is prayer walk around this, this white building. Because they didn't want to go in because they were terrified. So they're prayer walking around this white building. Um, and after weeks, maybe months of doing this, they feel like the next right thing is for them to go inside this building. And so inside this building is really where the chaos of life happens. Uh, it, is, um, it is not a safe place. 
Tim is Cambodian. It is not a safe place, even for him. But they feel like they need to go in. And so they go into this building, and they start praying within this building, walking around the community, seeing what's going on, seeing uh, who's doing what, seeing what they could pray for. And, And then they start responding to needs. They didn't go in there assuming what the needs were that they could met. So many times we, we, me, I assume this is the need, I'm going to meet it. Maybe it's because I'm, I'm Western and I, and I like to fix things, right? This is broken, I need to fix it. Ah, it's not broken, it's just not your culture. And so you just see it as broken, but it's not. But they saw some things that were very, very broken, and so they started doing some simple things. There's a lot of kids running around here who are just dirty, they don't have any hygiene. Um, we're going to wash hair. So they started doing lice hair shampoo. Um, they were just washing kids' hair. And then teaching about nutrition. And then getting food for these kids. And then they realized these kids don't have a lot of education. They're just running around, mostly naked, in this community, learning about drugs, gangs, violence, and promiscuous sex. They need some help. There were children at risk, is what they call them. And so they started um, kids' clubs in these communities. One day they were in the community, and the men that were in the gangs that they were afraid of started threatening them. You need to get out of our community. You're not welcome here. Uh, you don't belong here. Uh, and then the people that stood up for them were the women who were in prostitution in the city. So these women... The way it works in Cambodia is, and I would say globally, women do not want to sell their bodies for sex. It is not any, I have three daughters, it is never going to be one of their dreams that that's going to be their occupation. And in Cambodia, these women are forced into it, either by traffickers or because it's the only way they're going to be able to put food on the table. So these women who were in prostitution, who were judged by so many, stood up and said, you know what, these men and these women are serving our kids. And then they looked at their husbands, and they said, you don't even take care of your own family. You should be ashamed of yourself for calling out these kids and these people. They get to stay, and you need to stop. And because they're women and their wives, the men were like, all right, we're out. They were just, right, terrified. And so Tim and Mel continued to do this. And then one day, about nine or ten years ago, the Cambodian government goes into this place and they said, this is shedding a shadow on our city. We need to get all these people out. And so they have forcefully evicted all these communities. And Tim and Mel thought the next best thing for us to do is follow. And so they moved 30 minutes outside of the city into a relocation area that had no water, no education, no job source, no way for people to make income, and they moved with these people. They rented a storage um, facility, which is kind of what everyone lives in in that relocation area, and they kept doing their thing. Kids ministries, lice removal, shampoo. They started a cricket farm, so raising crickets and selling crickets in the market. Um, There's nothing like a freshly fried batch of crickets with like hot chilies and like lemongrass. It's unbelievable. Um, You can come to Cambodia with us and I'll give them to you. You'll love it. Uh, And then they started a a clothing house where they're training women 
how to make clothes and sell it to make a, a decent income. They're sponsoring kids to go to school. Um, they're building houses. They built about 50 plus houses in the last few years. And then recently, Tim and Mel handed over this ministry to their friends and they moved north to the Vietnam border to do another project like this with another vulnerable community. That's what it looks like to look at this scripture and live like Jesus. That's what it looks like today. None of us are in Cambodia, right? I can't build a house for my family. It would fall. So what does it look like for us? Um, Amy and I have been with this nonprofit YOM for 25 years. When I was a kid, I wanted to be fireman or missionary. Um, I, I couldn't stand the pressure of the hose when I was watering the lawn when I was a kid because I was pretty tiny. So fireman was out way quick. Um, but missionary stuck. I just wanted to be a missionary. I, I, I got excited about... My dad used to tell me I'd bring my Bible to school just so people would have something that they would see in me that was different, right? And um, I wanted to be a missionary for, for my whole life. We've traveled to 25 different countries, um, talking about Jesus, uh, doing dramas, um, preaching, evangelism, kids' ministry. And when we moved to San Diego four years ago, I felt like God made my dream come true. This, this city is super unique. Um, the nations of the world are in this city. If I were to go to, to Somalia, I would have to learn the language, learn the culture, dress differently. But there's 20,000 Somalian refugees in our city 15 minutes away from here. If I was to go to Syria, I would have to be afraid for my life. I would have to get security to get in. I would have to get visas. But we have over 1,500 Syrian refugees in our city right now. In 2016, or 15, September 2nd, I saw this picture on the news, and it was this young boy named Alan. Alan was a Syrian refugee. He was fleeing with his mom and his dad and his brother to Canada because Syria since 2011, when the war started, has seen over 12 million displaced peoples. Six and a half million within Syria, about five and a half million uh, outside of Syria. Um, so this boy, Alan, and his family gets on this boat. They cruise across the Mediterranean, and pretty instantly, the waves started getting um, intense and the wind starting. The, the captain of the boat, he bails out. The boat capsizes. Alan passes away. His brother passes away. His mom passes away. His dad lives. And a couple of days later, they find Alan's body. I don't know if you remember this picture. He's wearing a red shirt, sneakers, and these, these blue jean shorts. And he's lying face down on the beach. And I thought, I have to get involved with these people. I have to work with the Syrian community. So when we moved to San Diego, I called a good friend of mine, David. I said, um, he wasn't a friend then, he was just like a, someone I heard about that may know about refugees. And I said, David, do you know any Syrian refugees? He's like, I don't know any yet, but if you want to work with refugees, go here. So I went to this organization, so a little bit of my background and my story of what we're doing right now. And I said, how can I help this city? 
And they said, can you just rest, register kids for school? What if we text you a number and then you register, pick up this kid and register there from school? So the next day, I get this address and I go to this apartment complex in City Heights and I'm super nervous. I have no idea what I'm doing. I knock on the door and this little um, Somali girl named Asleo, she's about, comes up to my, my chest, maybe. Um, and I'm like, ah, school? She's like, school. That's all the English she knew. It's all the Somali I knew. We went to school. And so I, I took her and her mom and her brother, Hassan, and Ali, and we registered for school. Next day, I get another text, another address. I go and I do the same thing. I do this for a few weeks, and I just thought, there's got to be more. These kids are going to school, but I want... I want more involvement in their lives. So I sat down with my friend David and I said, David, we have all these Syrians here. We haven't met them yet. What are we going to do? And he said, what if we just throw a welcome to San Diego party for Syrians? What, what would that look like as an act of we are followers of Jesus and we want to show the Syrian refugee community that they are welcome, that they're accepted, that they're not strangers, they're not an inconvenience, we're not afraid of them taking our jobs. We're not scared of their language or their hijabs or their mosques. But we want them to be us, part of us. So we threw a welcome to San Diego party and we had 100 Syrians and about 150 volunteers at Mission Bay. We didn't do a call to repentance. We didn't do, um, uh, do, do you need prayer? We just served some food. Um, we served our food. Now when we hang out with the Syrians, we just eat their food because it's way, way, way better. Um, and we hung out with these people. Um, from there, we met some boys that were just like, not okay, right? They were traumatized. They were high school boys who had never seen a girl's skin from the neck down because in their country, girls are fully covered. And here we are at the beach. There's a girl swimming in a hijab and there's a girl swimming in a bikini. And these boys that we were hanging out with, eyes were huge. So we got to get around these boys. And so we started this boys youth group. So we have about 10 to 12 Syrian Muslim guys that I've been hanging out with for the last three years, just pouring into their lives, not gospel in the words, but just acceptance and love, continuing to show up in their lives, showing up over and over and over. There's this man named, um, I'm not going to say his name because this is going to be a podcast, but there's a Syrian guy that we know, and he lives in El Cajon. Um, him and his wife and his four sons came over to the United States about three years ago. They lost their, their daughter in the war, and um, our friends just said, can you take these, these, uh, these guys to the beach? So we pick them up, we take them to the beach, and we just start hanging out with them. We start going to their house and praying with them. We start, they're Muslim. We start um, eating their food and hearing their stories. And one day, the man says, you know, when my mom was pregnant with me in the Syrian village, there was a, uh, an imam and there was uh, a priest. It sounds like a joke, you know, but it's not. Um, the priest goes to the mom and says, you're pregnant with your, with your boy. Uh, when he's born, can you bring him to me? And I just want to pray for him. I just want to pray that, 
that um, God blesses him. And so this priest shows up in their life. 40 years later, he's in America because his country is like ravaged by war. And we're talking to him, and it's me and David and a couple more of my friends. It's all being translated Arabic into English. And he says, um, he calls his son, Muhammad, Muhammad, go into the bedroom and bring the Bible, which I thought was awesome that Muhammad's bringing the Bible out right into the living room. And we sit down, and he said, you know, Jesus has been chasing me from before I was born. He showed up in my life. Jesus showed up in this man's life. And he said, today, um, our family will stop running, and we will be followers of Jesus. And we sat down with this family, and we prayed, and they prayed, and they became followers of Jesus. Not because we said some convincing argument, but because we showed up in their lives. We constantly showed up. We didn't let them be an inconvenience. I'm going to show you a picture of some of our Syrian friends, and then I'm going to wrap up. Um, if they don't come, this is our, this is our friend uh, Ahmed and, and his, his wife, Nasreen. Uh, amazing family. This is our, we threw a Christmas party last, last Sunday. We had a Christmas party for the Syrian community in El Cajon. There was a bunch of churches and nonprofits and people that were involved in this. We had about 250 to 300 Syrians that came. We told the Christmas story. We ate great food. We, we, we took pictures. We did face paint. We did henna. And we just loved and showed up in their lives. This is not always easy. Um, how many of you like working out real quick? OK, here's the thing about working out. The hardest part about working out is putting on your shoes and walking out the door, right? Once you're committed, once you're committed, you're in. And it's great. You're finished at the gym. You're like, okay, this was awesome. The hardest part about walking in obedience to what Jesus is saying is putting on your shoes, walking out the door, and showing up to a people who look different than you, who talk different than you, who eat different than you, then believe different than you, and act different than you. But I have seen Jesus show up in my life in such radical ways since I started hanging out with people that um, I've never known and realizing that this is the way Jesus lived his life. He didn't just hang out with his boys, the disciples, right? He didn't just hang out with the women who took care of his needs. He took and hung out with the people who were the most needy, the most vulnerable, the most different, and those who did not believe in who he was. So that's all I have for right now. Um, I'm going to call on Evan. But thank you so, so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Phil. Before we, before we worship, before we sing and come to the table, I'm just so thankful for you, Phil and Amy, and your kids for leading the way in how to be friends with the poor. Um, and there's something I want to pick up on that he said that I, I don't want us to, like, I really want to unpack it because it's really important and it's important that we don't mishear it. Um, when he, oh, I love it, when he says become friends with the poor and vulnerable regardless of their belief structure, uh, and he's even saying 
before I say words, it's not just, it's not the gospel in word only, it's the gospel in deed. And I would actually argue, <laughs> quite often, more often than not, it is the gospel in deed first. Uh, I really do think that old adage is true. People don't care what you know until you know you care. And, I, and I, I've, I've seen this. And becoming friends with, I love that, in his notes, we, we, uh, we got a bunch of his notes on this sermon ahead of time this week, and that phrase, become friends with. We just internalize that and pray that in, how Jesus becomes friends with. Um, so, Phil, I just want to ask one question, um, just because we have you and you've given your life to training people in this. Like, we're not full-time missionaries. So a lot of that can feel overwhelming. Those pictures can be like, I don't even know. It's, I'm a drop in the bucket. That's an ocean of need. So if you could just maybe spell out how, you know, we, 99% of the room has, you know, 40-hour, 50-hour, 60-hour job and, and homework and finals week this week. So <laughs> sorry to remind you, but, um, <laughs> but like how, how can we, and how can we, practically orient our lives differently so that we can become friends with. It's not just giving handouts, but it's becoming friends with the poor. How can we do that? It's great. Um, we're going to put up some, um, some ideas for this to happen. I would also argue that you are full-time missionaries, right? You are um, go true. into all the world and preach the good news, right? Be prepared. In, 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 it tells us in season and out of season. That's good. It just looks, it just looks different. Um, Steps of Justice, we run this nonprofit. I'm going to start really narrow and kind of work our way wide. We run a nonprofit. One of the things that we do, we just became an affiliate CrossFit gym in City Heights of San Diego. So we offer free classes for refugees, immigrants, and low-income communities, um, teaching them about nutrition and fitness. And so um, if you have your level one, it's super like, specific. If you have your level one, come and talk to me and help us train. Um, if you work at, own, or have the keys to a gym, we need equipment. That'd be great. A um, little bit more. Um, become a child advocate for foster care. There's 2,500 kids in this city who are looking for homes to transition into. Right? My buddy Tommy took on this, and his family has had this little boy, Blake, um, and it has been such a gift for them. Become a, uh, an advocate. You can even be someone who, who houses foster care kids as they're being transitioned to their foster care home. Right? Um, you can volunteer at our school. We have some people in this church that volunteer at our school. I work at a school in City Heights, low-income communities. Uh, if, if two plus two equals four, come and volunteer, right? Uh, it's okay. It is about showing up. There's some of us that work at the school, they're like, I don't know the answer. <sighs> Let's call someone else. But we're there. We show up. Um, Bridge of Hope San Diego, second one from the bottom. Uh, our friend Sherry started this ministry to work with families in transition. Um, tomorrow night, from 4 till 7, they're running a Christmas fair for the poor and uh, the refugee community. Just come. Uh, she called me this week, and she was like, could you, we're going in groups of 12 into this room. Could you come and share the Christmas story with these groups that are coming in? And I'm like, yes, and. So come and join me and our family tomorrow night, right? Um, 
Jewish Family Services Safe Park Program. There are some community groups that are already doing this. You show up once a month, you cook a meal, and you serve families who are living in their cars. It is illegal to park and live in your car in this city. So this parking lot opens up um, so that families can have a safe place uh, to park. Um, yeah, there's so many ways. So come to the connection table afterwards. Yeah. Uh, we'll get you connected. It's, it's about saying yes and showing up. And we can all, we can all do that. So yeah, thank thanks, you. Phil. Amazing. I know that was, that was a somewhat long list. We're going to publish that list in the weekly uh, this week so y'all can read it and pray through how God is calling you. And you guys, City Serve Sunday is coming. So the first Sunday of the new year, January 5th, any one of those we can all take on or as communities or as individuals. And so Phil requested that we sing uh, this song. It's a Christmas song, but it's also a justice song. Oh, Holy Night. The second verse is all about how Jesus came to liberate slaves and visit the poor and be present for all of us. And so we're going to sing this and come to Jesus' table at the same time. So if we could stand.